Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. God has given us the ability to acquire wealth, and the question I have is, how will we invest our money from an eternal perspective? So I've called this message, Invest Your Money into God's Kingdom. I like Acts 20, verse 35. Acts 20, verse 35, Paul is talking, and he says, In every way I've shown you that it's necessary to help the weak by laboring like this and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus. And Paul quotes the Lord here. Uh, The Lord said, It's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, I guess my question to you today would be, Do you believe that? Is it more blessed to give than to receive? Well, we're going to look at that today. Tony Evans, I love his quote here. He says, In God's economy, you will be more blessed if you're a spiritual conduit rather than a spiritual cul-de-sac. God wants to work through you so that you'll be a blessing to others. And that is so true. I heard a story uh, years ago about a certain a rich man who was very miserable, and he went to see a Jewish rabbi. The rabbi took the rich man by the hand, and he led him to a window. And he said, I want you to look out and tell me what you see. And he looked out the window, and he says, I see men, women, and small children. And then he took uh, the rabbi took the guy by the hand and led him to a mirror. And he said, now, what do you see now? And he looks at the mirror, and he says, I see myself. And then the rabbi said this, he said, Behold, in the window there is glass, and in the mirror there is glass. But the glass of the mirror is covered with a little silver, and no sooner is silver added that you stop seeing others and you only see yourself. It's kind of funny, isn't it, how money can have an effect on people. And really, you know, money, it's nothing wrong with money. The Bible says it's the love of money that's the root of evil, okay? You have people that love money that have money. You, got, you have people that love money that don't have money. The issue is not whether you have money or don't have money, but is do you love money? Because that's the issue. So I would say today that giving is a heart issue. And why do we give? Now, this part, I want you to hear me very clear. Because I was one of those preachers that when I surrendered to preach Brother Don, I didn't want to... Uh, I didn't want to preach on money for a long time. You know, it's like, oh boy, you know, you, the, the day you get up and preach about money, somebody's going to go, there goes that preacher preaching about money, you know, and I didn't want to be one of those guys. And so for a long time, I really didn't want to, you know, d- deal with that. But as I got, you know, into the ministry and got settled and established, all of a sudden I realized one day the Bible talks a lot about money and money affects the daily you know, rhythm and decision-making of our lives. And so we need to know what God says about money. But let me tell you what I've learned in the years that I've known the Lord and served Him. Uh, giving is a heart issue. Why do we give? I'm going to give you three reasons why people give, and I only think one of them should be the real reason why you give. Let me, let me tell you what I mean. Uh, some people have been taught to give because of guilt. I don't like that one at all. That's why when I preach on money, I want you to know I'm not going to guilt you. You know, I remember years ago when I was younger in the ministry, uh, a certain person came to our church. They had come from a different kind of church, and they, they was afraid I was going to call them the next week because they forgot to tithe. 
because in their last church, the pastor did that. Okay? And so, anyway, as I began to see that as an opportunity to have a conversation, I go, well, what do you mean? Tell me more. And, and they began to tell me more, and it didn't take long for me at all to realize that she had been strong-armed into giving because of guilt. And people might give out of guilt for a while, but they won't give out of guilt for long. And let me just say that the Bible doesn't give guilt as a motivating for, as a motivation for giving. Should we give? Yes, absolutely. Is it the right thing to do? Absolutely. But I don't think guilt is the reason why we do it. There's a second reason why people give, and that's greed. You know, I, let me be honest with you. It makes me sick at my stomach whenever I turn on a, a Christian television program and I hear a prosperity, health, and wealth preacher that talks about if you'll sow a seed of X amount of money into this ministry, God will bless you, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And I'm just going to call it like it is. That's an appeal to greed. It is. It is an appeal to greed. If you do this, then God will do that. That puts God as a slot machine. You just put money in, and because He's so good and generous, you, you just put money out, okay? Now, here's the reason. Now, uh, the third reason why we should give is grace. Grace, okay? And I'm going to show you uh, what God said to a church, or what the Bible says to a church about why you should give, and it's grace. Let me go straight to the verse right now, and we'll talk about it. It's 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. I love this verse so much that I would say it is the gospel in financial terms. Okay. In other words, if you had to explain the gospel using economic language or financial terms, how would you do it? Well, this one verse does it, and it says it so well. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though He was rich, for your sake He became poor, so that by His poverty you might become rich. Now, it might be using financial language and terms, but that is the gospel. God sent His Son out of heaven. He humbled Himself. He was equal with God. What does Philippians 2 say? He was equal with God, but not something to be grasped or held on to. He humbled himself and became a man. Uh, he lived and walked among us. And then he humbled himself even more by dying on a cross, the death of a criminal. He hung between two thieves. And he, uh, he, he did that, and now he's been exalted. And he has the, the name that we sing about. He has the name above every name. And one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what the gospel is. And this verse, 2 Corinthians 8 9, puts it in financial terms and language. So my point is this. We give to God because he gave it all for us. Okay, We give to God because He gave it all for us. Now, I love uh, Danny's illustration because it's absolutely right. We have to give to God first. And when we do, He does bless us. But I don't think we give to get the blessing. I think we should ultimately give because we've been so blessed already by Him. Does that make sense? 
Uh, I'll talk more about that as we unpack this. But the point is we give to God because he's gave it all for us. So let me give you some background. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 this morning. We're going to look at two whole chapters. Did you bring a lunch? I'm just making sure you're awake. Don't worry. Uh, there, there's some of you that awake. Uh, that's good. I love it. All right. All kidding aside, we'll look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 this morning. And here's the background. Paul is challenging the church in Corinth to give. And he wanted them to excel at giving. So the question is, what did he teach them about giving that you and I need to know? And it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. The first thing he gives is an appeal to give. And the appeal to give answers the question, why should we give? Okay, why should we give? And he, he points to three things. I'll start with probably the, uh, the third best reason and the second best reason, and I'll end with the, the number one reason why we should give. But why should we give? He points to the example of other churches in Macedonia. Look, if you will, in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia during a severe trial brought about by affliction. Their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints and not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. So here is a group of churches in the province of Macedonia. They have been through hard times. They have extreme poverty. They have been through affliction and a, tri and a trial. But out of generosity, they begged to give. They knew that Paul was collecting an offering to help the saints in Jerusalem. And they wanted to be a part of it. They wanted to give and contribute to that cause. And they're begging to give. And Paul does not expect it from them at all. And so he's like, well, yeah, if y'all want to give, that's fine. Go right ahead. Uh, he wasn't going to put that, that burden on them. And then he says they really surprised us because they gave themselves to God first. And then it was easy to to give their stuff. Isn't that a good lesson for all of us today? That when it comes to giving to God, we need to remind ourselves that because of the cross I'm bought and paid for, I want to offer myself to God first. And once I offer myself, it's a whole lot easier to give Him stuff. And that's what the Macedonian Christians did. So we have the example of the churches in Macedonia of how they gave to God first. That's one reason why we should give. Another reason why we should give is we are to excel in this grace of giving. Look, if you will, in verse 6. Paul said, So we urge Titus that just as he had begun, so he should also complete among you this act of grace. Now, as you excel in everything, and here he's kind of, you know, uh, uh, bragging on them a little bit, the church in Corinth. You excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love for us. Excel also in this act of grace. I'm not saying this as a command. Rather, by means of the diligence of others, I am testing the genuineness of your love. 
For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though He was rich, for your sake He became poor, so that by His poverty you might become rich. And in this matter I'm giving advice because it's profitable to you who began last year not only to do something, but also to want to do it, and now also finish the task, so that just as there was an eager desire, there may also be a completion according to what you have. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what a person has, and not according to what he does not have. And so Paul says, I want you, church, to excel in the grace of giving. There's things that we try to excel in in life. But when it comes to the Christian life, one of the things that you and I should strive to excel in is the area of giving, grace giving, okay? Excel in the area of grace giving. It's modeled by our Lord and Savior. Look at how gracious He is to us. We in kind should be uh, gracious as well. And so He says, I want you to excel in this grace of giving. And He says it in verse 8. I love this. He says, I'm not saying this as a command. I'm testing the genuineness of your love. Maybe you've heard the statement that you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. That is true. Paul was not throwing down his authority and saying, you know, the Bible commands you to do this. You better do it. He says, I want to test your love. If you really say you love God, Where's the grace? How are you excelling in, in, in giving? You know, John 3, 16, that we love the quote, says, For God so loved the world that He, he gave, right? He gave. He gave His life. He gave it all. So when we talk about love, when we talk about grace, when we talk about mercy, it involves giving. And, and it's modeled after God who gave it all. You and I are to excel in this grace of giving. And of course, the third reason why we should give, we have the example of the churches in Macedonia. We're told to excel in this grace of giving, but the biggest reason why we should give is our experience with the grace of Christ. I go back to that same verse that I started out with this morning, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Wow. You know, he paid our debt because we were bankrupt before God. We were guilty as charged as sinners deserving death, the penalty of death. And he, out of his riches, laid down his life, willingly offered his life to pay the penalty for your sin and mine. So that now, even though we were bankrupt before God, if we come before Jesus Christ and receive His grace and mercy, we are now rich in and through Him. Isn't that good? That's the gospel. That's the gospel explained using financial terms in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. So we have an appeal to give, which is the reason why you and I should give. And so I hope you understand at this point that we don't give out of out of guilt, we don't give out of greed, we give out of grace. And I'll add another G if you want it, we give out of gratitude. When we look at the grace of God and what He's done for our lives, the ultimate response is out of gratitude, we, we want to give back to God. Not that we can pay Him back, that, that, that can never happen. But out of a, a, a heart of gratitude, we go, Lord, thank you for all that you've done for me, and I want to offer something to you. And that is the heartbeat. That's the heart attitude that God wants when it comes to our giving. So we talk about the appeal to give. Now let's look at the administration of the giving. 
and the administration of the giving, that answers the question, how do we give? How do we give? And I want to look, if you will, in uh, 2 Corinthians 8, let's jump to verse 21. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 21. He lays down a principle. He says, indeed, we are giving careful thought to do what is right, not only before the Lord, but also before people. Now, you've got to think about this. Paul was collecting a financial offering from a variety of churches that were spread out over a geographic region as he was traveling to Jerusalem. In order to make sure that everything is on the up and up, he wanted to make sure that he was handling this right in the eyes of God and in the eyes of men and that the full administration of the gift from the minute someone gave to the moment it was distributed to those that it was intended for, that there was no questions or concerns, okay? And so here we have the administration of the giving. How do we give? Well, you want to do what is right in the eyes of God and men. And so he says in verse 21, we give careful thought to do what is right, not only before the Lord, but also before people. And then he begins to share things that they did. They took precautions. Look, if you will, in verse 20. In verse 20, we are taking this precaution so that no one will criticize us about this large sum that we are administering. Not only did they take precautions, but they tested people. Look in verse 22. We have also sent with them our brother. It doesn't identify the brother, but look what he says. We have often tested him in many circumstances and found him to be diligent and now even more uh, diligent because of his great confidence in you. So they didn't name everybody that was handling the money, but they said we tested everyone and made sure that they could be trusted, that they wouldn't, they wouldn't uh, cast a, a black eye on what we're trying to do here. Nobody would question, well, well, where is that money really going and all those kinds of things. Not only did they take precautions and test people that were handling the money, but they had appointed people to specific responsibility. Look, if you will, in verse 18 and 19. We have sent him, we have sent with him, uh, referring to Titus, the brother who is praised among all the churches for his gospel ministry. And not only that, but he was also appointed by the churches to accompany us with this gracious gift that we're administering for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. And so the churches had gotten together and said, we're going to send a specific group of men that are going to handle this money as they go all over the, the province, the twists and turns to ultimately Jerusalem. And we want to make sure that no one criticizes what we're doing. We're taking precautions. We're testing people that are handling the money. And we're making sure that everything is only up and up and that we're doing what's right in the eyes of God and in the eyes of men. And the last thing is, he tells the church to be prepared, to be prepared. Look, if you will, in chapter 9, verse 1. Now concerning the ministry to the saints, it is unnecessary for me to write to you, for I know your eagerness, and I boast about you to the Macedonians. Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you in this matter would not prove empty, and so that you would be ready just as I said. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, would be put to shame in that situation. Therefore, I consider it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance the generous gift you promise so that we be ready as a gift 
and not as extortion. In other words, he says this is so important that we're trying to let the churches know that the, that the ones that we're coming to that want to give, we're trying to give them a heads up. Before we get there, we want you to be ready. We want you to pray about what God wants you to give. We want you to be prepared to give so that when we show up, you're ready to give and it doesn't feel like it's forced. In other words, Paul did everything he could to communicate with everybody involved to say we are giving to God in order to bless the saints in Jerusalem and we want you to know that we're trying to do what's right in the eyes of God and men and we don't want to be accused or criticized in any form or fashion on how we're handling the money, how we're appealing for the money, how we're collecting the money, how we're distributing the money. Isn't that good? That is a good biblical model for churches. Let me say that I am, I am pleased with the way our church does that. I've seen churches, I'm sure Brother Don has too, where you know they put, put it all on one person. And they've done it for 50 years. And I can tell you through seminary classes that they teach now that good people can do stupid things because of our sinful nature. And as a church, you don't ever want to put somebody in a bad situation where they couldn't be, well, where, where you, don't, you don't want to put somebody in a bad situation to where their credibility could be challenged because they didn't have a witness. Does that make sense? That's what I'm trying to say. And so I am pleased with that. Today, we, we do so many different things. We have, you know, accounting team. It changes every quarter. We have, you know, one person that uh, writes the checks, somebody else that sends out the checks to pay the bills. So there's checks and balances. And so that's I don't believe that's an issue with our church, but it's good to know that, that Paul modeled how that should be handled in the Bible as he was teaching a church about giving. He talked about the appeal to give, which is why we should give. He talked about the administration of giving, which is how we should give. And now I've got one more point, and then we'll be done. And that is the appraisal of our giving. Let's talk about the appraisal of our giving. And this appraisal answers a question as well. We've talked about why I give, how we give. Now this question is what happens when we give? What happens when we give? Well, I'm going to let the Scriptures answer that. In 2 Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 6, look at what Paul says. He brings it to a point. He says, the point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also Reap generously. Each person should do as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. The picture of that is Danny's illustration. When you dare to give to God first, and you give out of gratitude, you give generously, you give cheerfully, and you give it to God, He is able to meet all your needs. It sounds weird, don't it? If somebody said, would you rather live on 100% of your income or, or 90%? Well, you'd say, well, I want all of it. I want 100%, right? But tithing is 10%. If you give 10%, God is able to make up for everything that you need. I, I don't know how that works. I just know that it does work. I was taught to tithe when I was a new believer at the age of 17. And because I learned to tithe when I had chump change, right, Danny? 
it's been easier as I've grown older, the more money I make to tithe anyway, because I've just seen the track record of God's faithfulness. And so here's some of the answers to the question, what happens when we give? Well, one thing that happens when we give is God provides for our needs. Now, I didn't say He provides for our greeds, but He does provide for our needs. And that's what 2 Corinthians 9, 6-8 is saying, is that if you give, God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you can excel in every good work. That's good. There's a second thing that happens when we give, and that is God multiplies the blessing. God multiplies the blessing. Look in verse 10. It says in verse 10, Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And that's why if you give it to God first, I don't know how it works, but He he provides. So not only does He meet our need, He multiplies the blessing. And a third thing He does is He equips us to be generous. He uses this this act of giving, to teach us what it means to be generous. In verse 11, he says, You will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. And not only does he equip us to be generous, but I love this one. This is my last one. God is thanked and praised by others. In other words, what happens when we give? God is thanked and praised by others. Again, look at verse 12 and 13. He says, for the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the proof provided by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. In other words, when you learn to give to God and you become a giver and you grow in the grace of giving and you practice gratitude and generosity, people see that in your life, and they praise God for it, and they thank God for it. And can I say this? This might surprise you, but according to what Paul said here, that's proof of your salvation. You're putting your money where your faith is and your heart is. He's saying, listen, this, this need that you're meeting, it's doing more than just meeting a need. It's overflowing in expressions of thanks uh, thanks to God. And because of the proof provided by this, they'll glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel. Now John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, said, how can you talk about love when you see someone in need and you go, I'm sorry, I can't help you today. I pray for you, go on. That's not showing love in truth. Indeed, it might be loving words, but love is a verb. It's more than just words, it's actions, right? And so when you and I learn to give to God because of His grace out of a heart of gratitude, then we prove that we really are followers of Jesus. We prove that we've really been changed by the grace of God that we talk about and we demonstrate it through our generosity to others. And as a result, the world around us gets it. They go, wow, somebody thinking of, you know, of themselves not first but second or last and they're, they're being a blessing to someone else, that's got to be God. That's not natural. We live in a world that says, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? But when you 
live for Jesus, you're not doing it for what's, it, what's in it for me. You're doing it all because of Him. And that makes all the difference in the world. So in case you thought I was aiming for your pocketbook t- today, I was actually aiming for your heart. Because that's what Christ wants. He wants you to look at the cross perhaps in a completely new way today. He was rich. You were bankrupt. He gave his life. He used all his riches to redeem you, to purchase your salvation. And now through his poverty, you've been made rich. Woo! Isn't that good? That's the gospel, y'all. That's why giving, grace, love, mercy, all those things have everything to do with what He's demonstrated for you and I at the cross. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact a pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.